Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. Hi, this is Danny Goldberg, and this is Rock and Rolls, plural. And uh, I get today to talk to an old friend and someone I admire greatly named Jed Schwartz. Uh, people that have listened to some of the podcasts early on know that I was a student of Hilda Charlton, my principal spiritual inspiration in my life. And uh, she never liked people to call her a guru, but I still think that she was my my guru. And I um, and Jed uh, oversees HildaCharlton.com and Golden Quest, the entities. He's one of the people who oversees these things that, that preserve Hilda's teachings. And I just thought, uh, since I haven't spoken about her in many months, it would be... Uh, in keeping with what I set out to do to, to do so for this one. So hi, Jed. Hi, Danny. <clears throat> so I think some of the people here who are listening know about Hilda, but I never take it for granted that they do. She, she didn't ever seek publicity. Um, maybe just uh, pretend I'm a stranger asking you, who is Hilda Charlton? Oh, that's a great way to start. Um, well, Hilda Charlton was a person who, who, uh, was seeking God in her own life, and she was drawn to it like a a metal is drawn to a magnet, or a, a bug is drawn to the light. And um, at an early age, she had this great passion for a deeper connection to to the Creator, uh, to her source, and uh, and she pursued that by meeting a teacher uh, when she was in California, <clears throat> and. Um, she dedicated her whole life to this 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 passion of uh, filling herself with with the divine love that that she experienced. And and when that happened, uh, the only thing you can do is to give it, share it, um, just like her great teachers did. She would share this with people. And she came back and she taught in New York, and that's where you met her and I met her. Yes. And she had classes uh, that at times had four or five hundred people there, and. What was amazing about Hilda is that uh, she did it from her heart. She didn't take any money for anything that she did. And her whole life was service and, and for love for God. And so for, for me, if I described it to somebody, it, it was an opportunity of meeting somebody who lived their life in a, in a holy way, it, not just publicly, but privately and whoever she met, whether she met somebody who was a very famous person or somebody who was just off the street, she treated everybody the same with the same deep love, care and 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 love for. And that was transformative to me to meet somebody in the flesh who was a living example of what's attainable for a human being who who really wants to to live life, not just for for all the pleasures of earth, but to bring heaven on earth. And that's what she taught me to live life as, as though I wanted to bring heaven on earth. And, um, and, and that's how I would describe it to her. And then I tell lots of stories. I mean, she was one miracle after another of how, how God is always with us and we're never alone. 
And in the darkest hour, there is always a presence if we open our hearts to it. And sometimes we don't even open our hearts to it, and it happens there. Mm. Um, mm. You know, and I'm always remember the story that she told about, or you would say that when you challenged in the beginning, you know, the Jehovah to, mm. for, and, and that if people haven't heard that story from you, you really should say it because it helped me when I was in, in class and I heard these inspirations that other, how people were able to call on God and it changed their lives. It, it helped strengthen my, my resolve. I spoke in the first podcast I did, Ragu interviewed me to introduce me to this community. And I and I did tell that story and I'll uh, probably I'll tell it again later in this one. But I just want to before we start exchanging our stories about Hilda, which is really the main reason I wanted to have the conversation. I just want to give a little bit more background for people that that don't know as as, as much about her. So just in, in, in some factual things, do you know what approximately when she was born? Yeah, she was. I know exactly when she was born, but I'd have to check on the exact date. Um, well, like think, the the year would be would be fine. Yeah, it's like nineteen um, eighteen. Right. So when when she st- and she started doing these meetings that both you and I were attracted to, I think in in the in the early seventies. I first uh, encountered her in in seventy two, and I know she'd been doing them for for a couple of years then. So. And then she passed on in 1989. Is that right? She passed uh, January 1988. 1988. Okay. Yeah. She returned from India in 1965 and she spent 19 years in India on her, you know, her, her path, her journey to, to meet great saints and, and to find the God within her. And that's, that's what she did during that time. And when she came back, at that time in 65, uh, just before that, she had met Sai Baba and she mm. was with Sai Baba and he had invited her to stay with him. But she had this this recurring feeling inside that there was a calling in the U.S. of young people who who she felt that she would she wanted to share what she experienced. And she told Baba that she would go back to the U.S. for six months. But once she started to talk to people, the next thing she knew, it was the rest of her life that she spent here and the the people i mean she just started to share experiences and people started to to flock to her and she started the meditation classes weekly that people would come to in, in new york city and uh, it just kept growing and growing and growing until the the space was never big enough for her yeah i first was told about her by ramdas who i met in 72 and uh i i didn't know him at all well but i was lucky enough to meet him and, and he uh, suggested a couple of things that didn't work for me and then he told me about hilda's meeting and you know uh, within uh, minutes of me seeing her i i knew i was in the place that i be- I, I i belonged some of her earlier beings who she was with for were included paramahansa yogananda in uh, when she lived in california and uh and also uh, Nityananda, who she met in India, and she referred to as her guru. Is that correct? Yeah, she she had a personal experience when she was a young girl in her twenties, when she was doing a lot of sadhana, which is spiritual practices. She did a lot of breathing exercises and yoga, and she started to go into these deep experiences that that she didn't know what they were, and she was praying for help, and suddenly, this 
a yogi appeared in her room, which later she found out was Nityananda. And he was the one who helped kind of get her energies, her systems harmonized so that she could function in her body while she was living in the United States until she went to India. So uh, just to shift the conversation for a moment, when did you first encounter Hilda? I met Hilda in uh, 1978 when I first moved to New York from Maryland. And uh, I, I heard about her indirectly um, from friends who told me that uh, Ramdas was a student of Hilda's and I, I was I really loved Ramdas and I he had helped me a lot from his his writings and from meeting him at a lecture and um, if I th I thought well if Ramdas could study with this woman I certainly want to check her out and I was able to find her when she was teaching at the Cathedral St. John the Divine and I I just went one Thursday and I I was hooked as soon as I met her I knew I mean, I was there with 400 people in, in the Synod House at the Cathedral St. John the Divine, and she used to teach this class in the lower part of the building, and it was like, it was like you know, mystical, all stones, and, and it, it was a low roof, and, and you felt like you were in a med medieval place, and all of a sudden, she came in there, and the place just lit up. In, in my heart, it lit up. In my eyes, it lit up, and I knew this was an extraordinary person, and, um, and so I continued to come every Thursday night. And um, what I experienced from meeting her, uh, it only got deeper. And mm -hmm. what I began to uh, see in her, as I got to know her more deeply, more personally, I found that she talked about what she lived. It wasn't like she was spouting a philosophy that she didn't she didn't function from. And uh, what was most beautiful is that. Hilda talked from experience. I mean, she just talked about what she experienced and not some book uh, learning that she had. Yeah, that's for sure. What what brought you to New York? Were you in school? Did you get a job that drew you here? Uh, how come you came to New York? I, I was living in Maryland, and I was going through a dark time in my life. I was suffering uh, deeply. I, I had broken up with a girlfriend. I, I wasn't getting along with my family. And I, one day I just prayed. I, I, I prayed. God, I need a teacher. Hmm. And within a week, I get a phone call for a job offer in New York. And I hadn't applied for a job offer in New York. And I didn't even can have any contemplation of coming to New York. But I was so miserable, I thought I'd check it out. And, and the next day, someone offered me a ride and offered me a place to stay in New York. So it's kind of cosmic how it happened. And um, so I took this job and I and I just was kind of looking around for stuff. And after a couple of months, I, I found out about Hilda and I went to, to see her. Uh, and that's where my whole life shifted. I mean, completely, Danny. It was from being uh, in a room, dark, and fumbling around and banging your head to suddenly a light bulb goes on. And, um, and it got brighter and brighter and brighter the 10 years that I was with her. Now, you ended up, uh, living in the apartment for a lot of those years? Yeah, when I once I, I was going to her classes regularly, I, I knew that uh, I was only in New York because of Hilda. And so I, I realized I wanted to have as much opportunity as I could to be with her. And I one day I called her and asked her if I could come over. And she, she said, why do you want to come over? And I said, I, I want to come over to help you in any way, Hilda. And she said, you can come over, but don't expect anything, kid. 
and um and I came to her apartment and um and that was on a Thursday night it was on a Friday night I don't know it was it was one it was on a Saturday and then the ne- I was there the next day and I was there the next day and after a while uh, I was there every day and I basically pretty much camped out in her living room as the years went on mm. until I finally moved into into her her apartment yeah, she had an apartment on uh, the Upper West Side of Manhattan, uh, West End Avenue, and it had what was it, four bedrooms, or it was pretty, pretty sizable. It was a sizable. Um, it was a three bedroom apartment, maybe a four bedroom apartment, but you know she had so many people. I mean, that was her center of operations. Yeah, like, you know, and and so everything happened from there, and slowly there were more and more people who who were living there helping her and giving service to to her work and to her classes and you know when you were in her cl- in her apartment the phone rang all day long for people calling asking for prayers and she would take each call mm. and she would talk to the people and people would have these serious illnesses and and she would pray for them and then they'd call back and you know later and they were healed mm. and she said, give, give all praise to God. It's not me. And, um, her life was like that. It, it was all constant service. So one, one of the things about Hilda that to me was unique was, although she was very much rooted in, in the Hindu path and had her guru was, you know, of the Hindu line and Sai Baba, who she called her Lord was, and Yogananda earlier on, she she had this um, perspective on the cosmos that was was so much uh, wider, and I know you've you've uh, you know she would talk about, uh, uh, for example, uh, I think the first meeting I was at, she talked about the masters, the masters of the Great White Lodge. I had not the slightest idea uh, what she was talking about, but uh, over time, it, they've certainly meant a lot to me. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the masters and how Hilda talked about the masters. Well, um, she talked about the masters of the Great White Lodge are those uh, advanced beings who look over the affairs of the world um, for humanity, the earth, culture, science, arts, um, politics, and and they work with with humanity. For example, uh, Count Saint Germain is one of the the, the masters of White White Lodge, and he's famous in history because he was involved, in, especially in the revolution, the transformation in France um, during the French Revolution, and he was helping to to move the consciousness of people to you know a, a, a change in society. And he's noted in history. So I mean, for example, I mean that that would that would be a master who was working with people to help. Trans- to help raise the consciousness of the world, and that's what the masters did. So, when Hilda was a young girl in California, she had an experience with the masters, and they began in the in her inner world in meditation to begin to train her on the on various planes of consciousness, or in in how she needed to to raise her own vibration so that she could do the work that she needed to do. And so they're they're. I mean, they're real beings, although they don't always live in the earth plane. They they, they reside in in this kind of different space that I, I can't really talk about because I don't live there and I don't really know how to explain it. Except that they 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 talk about that they they live in a place that's called Shambhala, and Hilda would often use that that name as a way of bringing that energy down. So the masters are are like great teachers who mm. who orchestrate 
who really help orchestrate change on the earth by by helping to raise the people on the earth who who make these changes, no matter who they were, whether they were Gandhi, Martin Luther King, or whoever, there there are always the beings behind them that uh, change change the earth. And for example, Krishnamurti, who is a great teacher here, when when I went to see him when he would he taught in New York City, and Hilda was there, she said, if you look behind him, you'll see the masters that are standing there working through him. And when you would listen to his words. It was words, but there were a vibration in the words that, that could transform your atoms, and that, that was what my experiences are. So there are a number of books written about the Masters of Great White Lodge, one by uh, Charles Ledbetter, or Ledbetter, which is called uh, The Masters of the Great White Lodge. Um, and so those are books that are available. People well, can one read. is called The Masters and the Path, right? The Masters and the Path, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I was when I first knew Hilda within a, um, a few months uh, – one of the one of the people living in the apartment uh, at her request gave me a copy of that I still have it. It's gotten uh, tattered over the years and moved from many places. And to be honest with you, I never have been able to read it all the way through. It's like as if uh, uh, it's over a course of a lifetime. This is supposed to be uh, ladled out to me. But um, she also um, felt deeply connected to Jesus and. Um, and made me love Jesus. I, you know, I, I, I wasn't ever raised in a in a religious way in a Jewish. My family was sort of culturally Jewish, liberal, and honored a couple of the big holidays. But I was never bar mitzvah. We never went to a temple or anything like that. But I still felt not a Christian, and I, I really had that thing. And and, uh, but boy, the way she tuned in with Jesus and talked about Jesus, uh, you know, really just opened my heart to him. Did she talk about Jesus a lot when 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 you were with her? Well, you know, in her front room, she has this huge. Right, actually, right behind her, she had this large picture of uh, Jesus, and um, I would say that Jesus guided her in in so much of her life. Um, and and when you talk about her love for Jesus, I mean, Hilda, for me, she brought me into every religion. I could have a, I could, my heart could be open to any any religion and because she talked about the big picture and and she helped me see that each of the great teachers whether we talk about jesus or buddha anybody they were talking about the big picture but it's human beings who kind of narrow it down so that they don't they don't see that we're all one and we're all connected and that was the beautiful thing in her classes you would you would turn around and you'd see Muslims and Jews and Hindus and Christians and atheists. You'd see all kinds of people there and they all could worship the God within each other. And, and, and just like you expressed Jesus, I, I grew up Jewish too. And I had no connection to Jesus other than historical and what, what I was taught as a child and this big separation between Jews and Jesus. And it's through, Hilda teaching me the the what his essence was, what he really represented, and and she brought that into everything that in her life, that I realized what this great being was and what he came to Earth for, and my heart opened up to Jesus, and I felt reconnected to people. So if I was with a Christian or a Catholic or anybody, I could resonate with them, and they felt I was one with them. I wasn't separate. I didn't look at them as different than me, and that's what Hilda was really teaching from whatever discipline you were is that to, to go beyond 
the individual and to see the universe within that person. And and Jesus was her comforter. And he often, in her classes, she would talk about it because his guidance really lifts up our, our compassionate self uh, to others. And then she would go through these different periods. Uh, I, I was not there anywhere as much as you were. I was traveling a lot. I was very engaged in my work, which she uh, encouraged me to do, almost insisted that I that I do it. But so I would kind of come back and forth. And at different times, there were sort of different uh, uh, energies that she was into. So there was they came a time when she talked a great deal about Pericles, which to me, you know, historical figure, I hadn't really, you know, read much history, Greek history, you know, I wasn't much of a student when I was younger. And, and she, she, uh, she brought him alive in a, in a different way that, that really uh, stays with me. What did you, what did you get from her about, about Pericles? Well, this might sound strange to maybe some of the people who are listening, but you know, we have the visible world, we have the invisible world, and, and that there are spirits that live in the invisible world, you know, unincorporated uh, beings. And Hilda had connections to a lot of beings on the other side, and Pericles was one of them. And for me, uh, what what the connection of Pericles with Hilda is because she had a life in, in Greece as a as Aspasia, and Aspasia was the, the consort to Pericles. And so his connection to her in this life was really strong because he supported her in her work. And, and so he was one of the invisibles that were with her and, and traveled with her and worked with her. And so, um, what he brought to Greece was, was democracy. And she, that was one of her messages trying to bring, you know, freedom for all people and in all countries. And, and, uh, Pericles was one of, 22 invisibles that were always working through Hilda with her and, and occupied the space around her. And they, and she would often say it's because of the, her vibration that it afforded the, these very, very high souls to be able to come closer to earth to do their work. And Pericles was one of these great masters who, who, who did this and worked with her. Well, I know there may be some people who, hearing this, um, tuned out a little bit because the idea of communicating with invisible beings seems uh, like a superstition or uh, imagination to them. I can only say I, uh, I never could see the way some of the people who had their third eye open could see. I did feel vibes of some of these beings, but the main thing I felt was this tremendous connection of love and connection with Hilda. And I believed then as I do now in, in what she was experiencing, describing and sharing. But I want people listening to also understand that she had a, a, a extremely rigorous um, practical side and didn't believe that spirituality contradicted functioning uh, either ethically or practically, you know, uh, you know, in day-to-day, day-to-day life. Uh, and, uh, you know, how could you uh, share with people kind of how she balanced those things? Because there was always food on the table. The bills were always paid. She wanted all of her students, her kids, as she called us, to have jobs and, 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 and do well. Uh, and she believed that 
the spirituality as she conceived of it had to work also on this earth if it was what it was supposed to, if it was all encompassing energy but uh, it's it's um it can sound like a contradiction between the visible and the invisible worlds at first uh, at first glance what would you say about that well i think that i i was equally uh thought it was a strange thing when i first uh came to hilda she would talk about things that i didn't really particularly understand nor had i ever experienced but i i was attracted by love i was attracted by this this deep love that i felt from her and also what what uh, to me, the most important thing that I got from Hilda is how do you bring this um, deep love for, for God into practicality? Uh, like, how do you work with somebody who, who's not too nice, who's mean, mm. nasty? or and, and she taught lessons that were, you have to be able to love everybody. You have to be able to embrace everybody and not to judge and criticize them, but to understand them and meet them from where they are. So... For me, for example, I worked in a hospital and I, there were a lot of people who weren't too nice, too, mm. too friendly. And I would every after every Thursday night where she would talk about, you know, how to how to be a spiritual human being in, in the world. I would meet people who I would start to try to love them or see the God in them. And I found that people changed, that they changed when I changed mm. and the change had to happen with me. And so people who at first I didn't particularly like or get along with, they became friends, not because they were different. It was because I just applied simple, practical, spiritual practices. And, and, and those worked. And the more I used them, they worked. And so if I was having difficulty with somebody, let's say I was buying a car and, and the price wasn't, and I would just say, I would just be, I would just start to breathe out love and breathe in love. Instead of fighting the person, I would I would say, sure, he wants to help me. Just like Hilda would say, if you need a job, know that there's a job out there. Be practical. How can there be an emptiness in the world that there's not the same way to fill it? So if someone came to her class and they said, you know, Hilda, I haven't been able to find a work, she'd say, well, you have to visualize. Use your mind. Be practical. See a job. Know that it's there. Be positive about it. So it wasn't just the law of positivity, but it was using your visualization. Don't let anything keep you from being able to live your life. And and what she, she said is a spiritual person isn't poor. You mm. can be a very wealthy person and be is spiritual. And a spiritual person isn't jobless. A spiritual person isn't is isn't like dysfunctional. It's somebody who's incredibly functional. And what she she often had these people in her class who were real so uh kind of you could say spiritual but they couldn't function on the planet they mm. couldn't get a job they they would like you could think this person's going to end up in the mental hospital because mm. they didn't know how to be practical and she worked so hard to be able to say hey listen you have to hold a job you can't say these kinds of things in the in in public in india you could say that but mm. in new york city they're going to put you in bellevue and so she was always trying to ground people she could connect to heaven, but she was able to bring you in like roots for a tree so that people could function who couldn't function. And what happened, Danny, just talking about practicality, so many people, when they started going to Hilda's, they reconnected to their families. They reconnected to their parents. They reconnected to their heritage. Well, that so happened. That totally happened to me. I I, yeah. uh, I reconnected to my parents. It almost, uh, I brought my mother to a meeting. It was a huge uh, transformative moment in my relationship with my mother 
Yeah. And, and you're an example of what so many people, I mean, I didn't believe in much. I went to Hilda's and the next thing, you know, I was getting, you know, you know, in quotes, spiritual. And, um, I, and my mom thought I completely whacked out. She mm. thought I was in a cult. And she said, I want to come up and meet this woman. And I said, yeah, come. And and I called Hilda up one day and I said, you know, Hilda, my mom thinks I'm in a cult. And she wants to come up and meet so you. So what was your mom's background? Did she work or was she a housewife? What was, what, what was my her mom background? was a single parent, mm. minimum wage, mm. uh, had three kids, lived in Baltimore, Maryland. And she had a classic Jewish background mm. and she was very Jewish mm. in many ways. And she thought I was kind of lost. Uh, you know, she yeah. was worried about me. And when I called Hilda and I, she said, oh, dear, uh, everything's good. Your mother is wonderful. It, you know, it'll be fine. So I came to the class. It was at the, the, the cathedral. My mom came in. We sat in the front. And and when Hilda came into the room, now Hilda didn't even know me. I mean, I didn't think she knew me. Right. She, and and Hilda came in, and now we're talking about four or five hundred people in Synod House. She comes into the room and walks right over to me, doesn't even say anything to me, goes right over to my mother, and she takes her hand out and she says, "Hi, Mrs. Schwartz. I'm so glad you you came. Aren't kids a nuisance?" <laughs> and my mother kind of her mouth dropped and she <laughs> said, "Yeah, they they are." And the next thing, my mom fell in love with her. Mm. And um, when Hilda passed. Uh, my sister became a student of Hilda's and when, when Hilda passed and my sister was at home with my mother in Baltimore and she was crying and my mother said, Susan, that's my sister's name. She says, what's wrong? And, and Susan turned to her and she said, my mother just died. And oh my, my mother, goodness. and my mother grabbed her and she said, she was much more than a mother to you. Oh, and so when Hilda told me 10 years before that my mother was, was a, a, you know, she got it. She was okay. I didn't see what Hilda saw. Mm. And that's what I mean by practicality in which you mentioned. She, she, she didn't say be separate from people, but be inclusive of people. Embrace everybody from a place of love. And that's what she did. When she met my mother, she completely identi with, identified with her. She understood how difficult it was to have a, to be a mother with a kid who does crazy things and, and is into different things. And, and she just, just acknowledged that she, she agreed with her mm. and, and my mother changed and she changed and she started coming. I mean, this is just a four hour drive from New York city. I mean, from Baltimore and she would come frequently to Hilda's class. My sister started driving every week. Wow. Hours up, four hours back. And she wouldn't miss it. And and what draws people? And that's the love. And, and it's not about invisible, visible. You, you talk about masters. I mean, those can put people off. But it's when you meet somebody who really fills you with love, that they really understand you, they really get you, and they care about you, that you realize wow, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, it was an amazing thing to be around her. Um, and um, it seemed to me that she had a concept where you kind of had to go to her, that she was never going to do any of the things to draw attention to herself. I don't remember her ever doing anything to draw attention to herself. I mean, she wore a sari, so not that many... Uh, Caucasian women walking around New York City in the sari, but you know that was that was about it. There was there was no publicity or or um, uh, attempt to uh, schmooze important people or anything like that. Um, 
and it almost uh, was a, it, it was like she had in mind somehow a certain certain places the energy was going to go but i know that you're a custodian of of these you're one of the custodians of these um uh recordings of her which you can you can download very inexpensively on hildacharlton.com and and the books uh mostly which are transcript most of them are transcriptions of her lectures um and uh, have you uh, found over these years since 1988 that there are people who didn't uh, uh, meet her in person, but who somehow she's reached uh, anyway? Yeah, I would say that most of the people who listen to the tapes or um, get her books are just meeting her now. Mm. And she she said numerous times to me, she said, my closest disciples will come after I've passed. Mm. And um you know, I, she wasn't saying I wasn't a close disciple. She was just saying it continues. It continues on after the body drops. And so people will, will call us or write us and be so grateful for listening to her lectures. Um, you know, Sounds True, the woman for, who owns Sounds True, she happened to pick up Saints, the book Saints Alive, and she was so touched by it that she got a tape. And she said she never heard an energy go through a, a, an audio tape. And so we gave them permission to put out a series of her S Saints Alive uh, lectures through uh, Sounds True. But, you know, it's just like people find it and they fall in love or they don't fall in love. And, and you know, you just kind of find what you need at the yeah, right time. Yeah, yeah. What was, were you, just as a another uh, view of her, um, were you around during this time of uh, Amal's Pizza? I came towards the end of Amal's Pizza. Um, maybe there was it was there for two more years. And, right. Uh, and so, that was on 103rd and Broadway at the time. Yeah, in retrospect, it's just so mind-blowing to me. So this was a pizza place that, um, that uh, a friend of hers, S.S. Raja, who she knew in India decided to open and it seemed like she was always there for those couple of years and interacting with people literally off the street who were coming in for a piece of pizza. Do you have any uh, memories of it? I, 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 Yeah. Well, I mean, what I re remember was that uh, Amos Pizza was originally started by uh, Raja, as you mentioned, and he, and he did it as a way of raising money for orphans because he, he had this passion to help orphans. And right. when he passed, it, it kind of like, Hilda took it over, um, and so she and her students uh, basically made pizza and and helped to change the people in the neighborhood. So if someone was homeless or poor, you know, they'd give them pizza or so they had food. But also, it was a place that she'd be, and people could come would come in and, and she'd give counsel to them, and then they just thought she was a really wise, nice lady. Right. Um, and and so she didn't she didn't make herself anything more than I'm just a human being and here's some practical advice or, you know, here's a shoulder to cry on. Some stories of, of the homeless guy coming in and being destitute and she, and he put his head on her shoulders crying and she just consoled him. And, and then, you know, he, he was transformed or he was better and, and then he left. And, and so Amos was, was like kind of a light bulb and a not, that wasn't a good area of New York at the time. So no, no it wasn't, uh, it wasn't quite as glamorous as it is today. Right. And not a, lot, only, a lot of people with drug problems in particular. And this and the place got robbed a number of times. You know, you'd think, well, if Hilda was such a great being, you know, how could this place get robbed? But 
it was she was practical. She'd say, look, you have to lock up money. You have to do things. Don't let you know. So she was when people when it would get robbed, it's like there was intuition that you could change things. And and uh, so she was uh, she was that was just her job until the, they were able to to uh, get rid of it so that it could go on to do something else. But uh, it was a place that people would come. You got healthy food. It was the first whole wheat pizza place. Um, Ingrid, who, who was a close student of Hilda's, managed it. She used to make the sauce and, and knishes, and people would just come there after class. And you'd see after class at 1030, there would be like this horde of people outside 103rd Street and Broadway just like, you know, just talking and sharing stories about God and, and eating pizza. Yeah, I, I just to change uh, directions because there are so many places to go here in this conversation – I have a faded photo of you, me, Ingrid, uh, uh, following Hilda in uh, at Stonehenge, <laughs> and uh, Ingrid gave it to me. And typically, uh, Ingrid has passed on some years ago. She died uh, uh, this incarnation young, but uh, just a beautiful, beautiful person who meant a great deal to both of us and to many others. And she um, she told me, don't ever show anybody this picture. You know, Ingrid always had sort of this kind of certain approach to things, you know. Yeah. But uh, so so talk about Stonehenge for a minute. I, I uh, Hilda loved Stonehenge. Yeah, she loved Stonehenge. And in 1984, uh, a number of her students uh, with her leading everybody went on a pilgrimage through India and also to Europe. And one of the places that we stopped at was Stonehenge and um, she talked about that it was a, a, a energy center of the, of the universe that it, it, energy would go there. I mean, it has a, a long lineage of that. And when she was there, uh, we were, we were standing outside uh, with this fence that goes all around it. One of the guards came up to her and he was drawn to her and he started talking to her and he, and he took her hand and he said, come and he took her in inside the center of Stonehenge, which they're not allowed to do that. And he came up to her and he started saying, are you a, are you a healer? And she, she looked at him and she said, um, well, God's the only healer. And he said, well, I want to tell you the story. I had this heart attack. And, um, my, and in the middle of the night, I, I, I told my wife, take me to Stonehenge instead of the doctor. And she took him to the center of, of, the, of the rocks and he, and he just sat there. And he said in the morning, he was completely healed. His heart was completely and so he just came right up to Hilda and talked about it, about this to her. And, um, and so she came back a year later and, uh, and, and saw this guy again. And, you know, she brought him this little gift, uh, that, and, and he had this great connection and that's how it worked with her. She would go to places and people would see, could, could people who are sensitive could realize that this is not this ordinary person who, who was just uh, walking around, but this was somebody special. And, and Stonehenge became a very special place for her and the energy that, that it continues to come down to this planet uh, through that, that vortex uh, of energy. Mm. Now, another thing she was somehow involved with, which you undoubtedly know more than I do about, is the Hindu temple in Queens. Uh, and uh, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, at that time in, in the United States, there was no Hindu temples. This is in the 60s, early 60s. And um, Hilda at that time was um, uh, giving talks on Sai Baba and going to Sai Baba meetings. And there were a group of Indian, Indian uh, men who worked at the UN. And um, one, of, one of them 
was um, Dr. Alagopin, and and he met Hilda, and he had this dream, he had a vision um, of of building a Hindu temple, and so when these men met, uh, he. Dr. Alagapan kind of met, when he met Hilda, he figured her out that she was connected to the Hindu gods in a way that he wasn't. And one of the gods that Hilda was very close to was uh, Lord Skanda. And Skanda was one of the sons of Shiva, if you read, you know, mythical lore. But so when these men met, uh, they, he, Dr. Alagapan said, I want Hilda to be on the, you know, board of directors. And they said, like, who is she and why? She's, she's, she's not Hindu. And he said, She's lived in India. She's close to Lord Skanda, and I want her on the board. And so she started to to attend these meetings for the original design of the Hindu temple. And um, and she would often give messages to the, to these people from Lord Skanda about what they needed to do in terms of building. And that and that, and were you ever there when she went to these meetings? Yeah, she, every every solstice she would have uh, meetings at the temple. And where she would come and her students would come and they would do a puja, which is which is a ceremony to Lord Skanda and um, and and started to build the temple. It was a way that she could bring her energy and her students there. And so the temple now is flourishing. It's it's a very large uh, temple on Bound Street, Bound Street in um, Queens. And uh, now there's temples all over the country. Yeah, and yeah. It started, it started there, and um, and that also it was the first temple that brought the feminine energy in of of the light, which is the Jyoti light. And before that, it was it was more of a hidden goddess in Hinduism. It was more folklore, but they didn't really look at that. And it was Dr. Alagapan, in connection with Hilda, that started this Jyoti. A ceremony and Jyoti just represents the light of God within all of us, and and Hilda Im- incorporated that into her um, her uh, practices there or her her ceremonies, and that was that was a big coup for for Orthodox Hinduism to to allow this to happen, and now they they embrace it. So yeah, I um, saw Dr. Alagatham uh, speak at a couple of things involving Hilda, including when she at the memorial service. And he seemed like an extremely uh, serious, uh, uh, you know, orthodox type of an old school uh, Indian. And I would imagine that the other elders that would build a temple like that were, were like that. And it's kind of amazing that uh, that they would just accept Hilda as a vehicle of Skanda. Um, th- what, th- what did you make of that? Did they just sort of feel the vibe and went with it? There was no skepticism? Well, for me, I mean, I was already, I had already bought the whole game, so I was in it. But yeah. when when she was there, they would, the, the, the board of directors, they would show up to come to it, and they liked to be around her. They would talk to her, and she would give them also personal messages. When one of them had, uh, when their ch- children were sick, they called Hilda up, and they'd say, could you pray for my child? Mm. When, and, and so they, they recognized in her someone who was authentic. And when I say authentic, because she didn't have pretense, she wasn't trying to be anything. She just was who she was. And she deflected a lot of attention. And you know that, that, you know, for sure, from your own experience. So she wasn't the center. But if you had eyes to see, you knew, you knew who was the bright bulb in the room. Yeah, yeah, would go to that. And, and, and so 
what and she wasn't trying she didn't like dictate to them she didn't she she actually just kind of sat there most of the time but every now and then she'd have something important to say and was practical and even though she didn't do she wasn't a, a construction worker and she but she knew everything and so she could make a comment that w- when a design wasn't right and people would be amazed that she could interject something on a field that she wasn't you know versed in seemingly now another energy that she tuned in for a time and continued with was a native american energy and uh I just one day she was just talking about uh, different chiefs. I, I it was one day it was never part of the conversation. And then from then on, it, it, it was. Uh, were you around for some of that? Yeah, I, I was graced to be around a lot of that. And, and just going back to what we had talked about before, Hilda, Hilda was into everything. I mean, everything, hmm. you know, from UFOs to, to Native Americans. But, you know, Hilda's sensitivity was so deep. I mean, she could perceive the other world, the other side. And so uh, the Native Americans who had passed on, and you know, there was a lot of suffering yeah. that happened in this from the, in this country from Natives. And she she used a lot of her love and, and inner uh, prayer to lift souls that were still suffering or still lost from mm. you know, who had passed on to the other side. Uh, and some people could think of them as ghosts. I don't think of them as that. I just think of them as spirits who haven't been able to ascend to a higher realm. And mm-hmm. so she began to help these these beings who were on the other side. And many of the great chiefs, because in, in the Native American visible world and in the invisible world, there is, a, there is a, a council of chiefs, some from hundreds of years ago, who are evolved beings who help to guide their, their Native people, to guide the earth, the, the natural world. And so they began to be drawn to Hilda and she began to work with them in the great council. And many of these chiefs continued to, to work with her. Um, and, and so she, she, that was just one of maybe in the, in the mid late sixties, early seventies, that was, you know, something that she was, she was really deeply involved with, but she continued to work with that, even though she moved on to, to, to something else. Yeah. When I first went to the, I think the first meeting I went to, or certainly one of the first two, I heard her speaking about the Divine Mother, and I had no idea what she meant by that. I didn't know if it was some Christian thing or, or, or what what it was all about. I, it, it, so intellectually, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. But then in my heart, I felt such a a pull. And of course, she one of the books that you made sure was published is called Mother Speaks, where she describes many incarnations of the divine mother. How, how would you, uh, describe, uh, the divine mother as she, as she talked about her? Well, um, Hilda often talked about the, the Shiva Shakti or male, female aspects of God, father, father, mother, God. And she would always use that. And so there's an essence of energy from that's, that's more feminine that would call the mother energy and the father energy. But there's many different aspects of the mother and and so in each religion there's there's a feminine aspect and so um many of these these great beings uh hilda had had experiences with whether she had visions or she had direct contact with them from christianity from the virgin mary to um you know to Kuan yin in chinese uh, uh 
philosophy. So all of these these deities or aspects of feminine energy, Hilda connected with them, and and that was one of the things that she wanted to do. That was one. Of, that was the second book that she she that book, Mother Speaks, was done by Hilda. Hmm. Uh, the photographs were taken by people who, and the and the verse was written. And she was she, whether she was told to write that or she felt that she needed to write this, but she wanted to bring that energy into the world um, from all of these different aspects, so that they could all be embraced together. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, you know, I don't know um, Ragu Marcus who runs this Be Here Now network says, and I believe him, thousands of people listen to these podcasts. I have never have any idea who's listening, but I know it's going out there. And as you know, when you put the things up on the website or things like that, you just never know who it's going to connect with. Uh, is there something that comes to your mind or heart that you'd like to say to end this conversation? Well, um, Besides, thank you for the opportunity to talk about Hilda. It's as you said before, it's an endless, it's an endless discussion because her mm -hmm. life is so big, and she touched so many people's lives personally. Everybody has their own personal story, but one of the things that she she always said that we have to hold on to to the light. We have to hold on to the God within us. It doesn't matter what we call God or what we call that, but in the times that are difficult, and and you know the times that we look ahead can be very difficult if we think about all the different possibilities and and we can't get lost in that we have to hold to to the light we have to not lose the god within us and not lose sight in the god within each other so that we can can hold the work together that we can embrace it in a way that wherever we go wherever we walk wherever whoever we talk, talk to we're sharing that light we're we're helping to lift all of humanity and know that in the end the, the victory of the light will always be there and that we're all part, part of it. And sometimes we get lost, but the path is always there. And when you feel lost, all we need to do is call out and ask for help. And the help will be there mm. in the form of a person or the inform, in, in the form of an inspiration or an invisible idea. But that we, we're never apart from God. It's just that we sometimes lose sight of it. I couldn't agree more about asking and it and it will be there. It seems so ridiculous sometimes in the privacy of your own mind to talk to what seems to be nothing, but it's not actually nothing that you were speaking to. I, I, I concur with that. And to go to your other point on a slightly more prosaic note, as John Lennon said, he said, in the end, it'll all be fine. So if it's not fine, that means it's not the end. That's right. That's well said. <laughs> Well, he was he had a way with words. Anyway, thank you so much, Jed. I, anybody that feels an impulse to do so will be richly rewarded if they check out HildaCharlton.com. There's not an organization to join. There's no uh, pitch for money. It's it's just something to tune into. Uh, thanks again, Jed. Thank you, Danny, for your work, and God bless you and everyone who's listening to this podcast.